Hey, hey, what's going on, guys? Mike Baker with ABO Outfitters. Today, we got a super fun guest. It's James Vandenberg. He's from Southeast Iowa. Him and I go way back. We met uh, through our wives, but probably known each other eight, nine, 10 years now. We've gotten to be even better buddies just through the outdoors and what we love to do. But this guy is a straight up killer. He's uh, grown up in Iowa. He has been a, a gigantic bow hunter. The guy has figured out the, the mature whitetails. He's going to run through some tips and tactics as far as patterning and killing those mature whitetails. But then also going to chat through the story about the great buck he killed last Saturday. As you can see, it's a giant. So stay tuned. Thanks a lot for joining us. Okay, we're officially live. Haha, uh-huh, Biggs, good uh, to see you. How does it feel? <laughs> Feels good. Feels good. Uh, well, good to see you. I mean, uh, James Vandenberg here with uh, um, a lot to say here today, but you know, basically we're going to start kind of from the beginning. We'll go back to um, just starting out super simple of introductory of who you are, I know this, but anyone who's listening um, would definitely, I think it's nice to set the stage because, uh, you know, you and I personally go back from just... As far as our wives uh, yeah, allowed us to go back is essentially the answer to that question. They've allowed us to uh, become become uh, more than just husband friends, which has been nice of them. <laughs> um, yeah, that's... But no, give yeah, us a little, no, lay, lay the framework. Um, James Vandenberg, I grew up in Southeast Iowa. Um, I actually kind of grew up everywhere. My dad was in the military, so I lived in Washington for a while, and Georgia and Missouri, but ultimately high school and middle school in Southeast Iowa, home of very large whitetails. Um, me and Mike go back. How many years did we go back, Mike? When did I officially meet you? I don't yeah, know. When was I wearing camel Crocs at your wedding? <laughs> yeah, we, we might be we might be going on like eight years of officially knowing on each other, maybe seven years of really broing out, yeah. and six years of like hunting and chugging whiskey together is a rough timeline. But I mean, uh, uh, yeah, grew up in Iowa, bow hunting, bow hunting, bow hunting. Have not killed very many things with a gun. I'm not anti-gun at all. I just you get more favorable seasons in Iowa if you bow hunt. So we bow hunted. That's what my dad did. And, uh, yeah, that's a little bit of background on me. Yeah. That's where yeah. growing up, I'm not sure you realize until a certain age that you were uh, blessed to be in the whitetail Mecca, no matter what it's like, you could just by accident go and sit from like October 20th to November 10th. And you could have a giant 200 inch whitetail come walking by uh, just on accident. But you guys obviously have dialed in a lot further than that, which we'll get to, but so you mentioned yeah, I remember just side note on that, like living like in Missouri, Washington. I remember my dad hunting so hard to like shoot like a spike with a bow or like a little <laughs> six pointer. And then yeah, you move to Southeast Iowa and it's slightly different. A little bit. It's a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Well, obviously you guys have taken to the next level. Your brother Elliot's a killer of himself, but but uh you've definitely dialed it in. But like again, we'll get to that. I kinda wanted to set the stage of what really got you into it? Obviously, it sounds like your dad was uh, kind of the driver behind it. Yeah, no, yes. Ever since I can remember, like, pictures of me just with a little bow. Um, 
in camo following my dad has kind of been the thing. And my dad really only bow on it. And so that's what me and my brothers and sisters did. Um, I mean, just from the very get go, I shot my first deer as a third grader and I, I shot it, I shot it at night. It was like a big doe, like 18 yards, which in third grade wasn't a chip shot, but it was, was pretty dang close. And we didn't find her that night. I was super depressed. And the next day my dad came and got me out of school, like at 10 AM because he kept looking and he found her. And from then on, I was just uh, hooked basically bow hunting, anything and everything. Uh, And that's expanded the older I've got. Yeah. Well, I mean, back to kind of when we met, I remember just being like, uh, I had like a man crush, you know, I, I had always like wanted to, I was never into growing up. I just around here, I just wasn't, uh, I wasn't super into the bow hunting world. And then, you know, kind of had gotten into it a little bit, a little bit at a time, but being that you were super into it and knew a ton about bow hunting and had killed all these animals with, with a bow. It was like, Oh my gosh. I, I just, I couldn't even fathom it because it was still deer hunting was a, a rush with a gun growing up. And yet I couldn't even believe like, wait, what? Like 15 yards in front of you. That seems nuts, but. Dude, I'm just a natural, natural born salesman. Got you into it. That's you're, right. you're one of like five or six people. There's five or six people. You were not as cold Turkey as the other four or five. Yeah. But I, I do remember like meeting you and it's like, walleye lake of the woods and <laughs> pounding pheasants like that's yeah. what you did yeah and i remember how intrigued you were in would you buy this bow and you got that bow from your coworker, boss something yeah yep i was just gonna um, give him a little shout out because yeah. without him i Call, still might have yeah. been sitting on the sidelines not tr- pulling the trigger on buying something yeah and then fast forward and you've been to iowa now and we've killed all together and, oh yeah you've you've, you've had an exponential uh, learning career <laughs> Yeah, which is only done by trial and error. There's by no the doubt. way, there's no doubt. No matter how old you are, no matter how much you've hunted, even deer specifically, there's no yeah. replication of getting good at killing something with a bow. It just isn't. Yeah, you have to mess yeah. it up. You have to figure out like, well, when do I draw my bow? When do I, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's just there's no way. I remember the first th- two or three years, it just one after the other, drawing at the wrong time, deer's gone. It's like. Oh my God, what? This sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a different beast, but that's what uh, attracts us to it so much. Yeah, 100%. Well, yeah, and that's kind of, um, so right now we're kind of on the eve of Minnesota gun opener, and that just kind of in and of itself is kind of a Minnesota holiday, so to speak, but it's so yeah. different being that like, guys literally just look forward to those two days a year to hunt Saturday, Sunday, they, they come up or even are from around town here and they hunt local land and they, they get out for their two days. They, whatever Brown and down and they shoot it with a rifle and they're back on, on their way, which is awesome. It's great that they, you know, have a chance to hunt, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, going to the bow hunting world, you're going to go out, you're going to see deer possibly, or you're going to see nothing. But even if you do, you have opportunities. It doesn't always work out anywhere near a high percentage of the time. But anyways, so we kind of talked about the bow hunting world growing up, getting into it, childhood. But I also, a lot of, a, lot of, um, a, a big factor of your life has been football and sports. So yeah. I definitely wanted to jump into that side of the world. Yeah, no, yeah. Sports, I mean, growing up, 
were a really big deal. Um, not necessarily anything. It, it was just something I was into. And I, I was the kid that played six sports year round. I mean, I just mm-hmm. one to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And, and ultimately I had an opportunity uh, to be on a really good high school football team and have a lot of success. And then got the opportunity to go on and play in college um, at the university of Iowa. Um, I played quarterback and then uh, post college had a, a cup of coffee so to speak uh, <laughs> in the NFL and the Minnesota Vikings and basically got fired and hired for about a year and a half of my life and then have since uh, lost weight and felt uh, not as beat up but no football yeah. was a big part I've met so many great people through football and so many awesome experiences um the more serious football gets though, the more it eats into your fall. So there was definitely a large stint of my life there to where hunting, I mean, uh, was like the one bye week or the one bye weekend. And that's certainly something post football. That's been nice to to have a little bit more time, but wouldn't change it for the world. A lot of great experiences, a lot of great people and you learn a lot of great lessons. Um, but I like being married and having kids and having more flexibility in the fall too. So uh, positives and negatives to everything in life, and that certainly comes with football as well. Hundred percent, yeah. I, the 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 sports world it kind of translates to a lot of things in life. Just the the winning and losing, and working with the team, and all that kind of stuff. That you know, it sounds so cliched, but you look back on your time in sports and athletics, and man, it's it's uh, it couldn't be more true. So yeah, you know, which. Uh, I mean, so it's all related. Yeah. I mean, it's all related. The people that have success in sports and it doesn't have to be sports, but sports are an uh, an easy one to take a look at, but yeah, it's all related to how most likely, I mean, you're going to handle your job and your marriage and being a dad and bow hunting. And I mean, whatever it is, it's, it's all related. And I was fortunate to play with a lot of really good people um, that happen to be good at sports too. Um, But yeah. I, I think um, the, the biggest thing I would assume as a college athlete is just like balancing the college schedule, college life, and then yeah. athletics on top of it. I mean, that's got to be – and you were certainly a, a, more of a standout student than the majority of people on your team. So I can't imagine that that's uh, – maybe talk about like the, the little – it's of like sticking to a schedule and, and being pretty strict about that kind of stuff of, of yeah, just being dialed in on what you're going to do and kind of having a plan. Yeah. No, I, I think there's something to be said on like trying to do something and do it the right way. Um, and ultimately there's always things you can't control, but doing all the things that you can control, the little things, so to speak. My grandpa used to tell me two things all the time. One, patience and perseverance pays off every time. It's like my favorite saying of all time. And then ultimately, let's do all the little things and the big things take care of themselves. And so it's go to class, it's study, it's, yeah. it's I mean, and it's work on your fundamentals. It's, it's all that stuff. But yeah, ultimately to play college sports at that level, the division one level, and to try to not, do underwater basket weaving. It just takes a lot of time. Yeah. And that means you give up other things. Um, I drank less beers probably than the average student. That's okay. <laughs> Certainly than um, a, a business major at UND. I'm trying to catch back up now. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just, 
it's, it's, it's something that, you know, you just, I like thinking that if you're going to do any of this stuff, try doing it the right way. And, and that was certainly how I tried approaching sports. And I got to a point to where, I mean, talent and opportunity, it's like, it's, it runs out everywhere at some point for people and some people that's high school and some people that's college and some people yep. that's in the NFL. And so, um, a lot of good principles though. And there's certainly things I miss, but yep. having more access to hunt in the fall is something I, I now enjoy. Yeah. The flexibility is there for sure. Well, you yeah. told me plenty of stories throughout college, but one that, that kind of stuck out was uh, regarding uh, Mark Ingram and, and getting recruited and your first initial recruiting visit to Iowa. Um, I mean, I love the inside stories. Like that's the kind of stuff that, you know, yeah. The games are cool, sure, but at the end of the day, like getting to know people and their personalities and hearing some stories is awesome. So, uh, yeah, I, I've met a lot of, I mean, famous people, quote unquote. Mark Ingram was probably the first, and he wasn't famous at the time, and I certainly wasn't. We were both uh, scrawny. Well, he wasn't very scrawny. <laughs> no. <laughs> High school juniors or seniors. I don't even know. We were on official visits together at Iowa, though, and he left that visit telling me, uh, he was coming to Iowa for sure. And then uh, through a flurry of activity and some <laughs> things that happened maybe off the books, uh, he ended up going to Alabama. And ultimately, I think financially, that was a good decision yeah. for him. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen was my roommate um, with the Vikings. He was a tryout guy that, I mean, it's like 99.9% of people go to the tryout and don't make it. Um, Adam Thielen was like the one guy from the tryout they kept. And he became my roommate. And ultimately, obviously, Adam is an incredible guy, incredible player, deserves everything. Um, and he's still there, and I'm not there. Yep. But we were, we were roommates for five, six months there through camp, through OTAs, played a lot of golf together. Um, his wife was great. We went and had family, like, at her family's house. And, yeah, no, I mean, cool. a lot of good people. Um, but for all the Minnesotans out there, yeah, Adam is a hell of a golfer, which I think is very well known now, but he was a hell of a golfer then. And it was pretty clear to see that, God, like, they don't keep him. They're doing the wrong thing because that guy catches everything and he just knows how to get open. As a quarterback, you know, like, who's easy to throw to. Yeah. And Adam Thielen from day one, I don't care where he came from, was really easy to throw to. Yeah, well, yeah. it's like anything. I mean, there's, like, guys that are really good at just, like, running routes. But then there's also guys that are just naturally, they just kind of get it from all perspectives, and they can just put it together on the football field. No different in hockey, no different. Maybe it's a good segue to no different in bow hunting. You yeah. just There's plenty of people that can sit and shoot a super tight group out to 100 yards, but then, well, okay, let's maybe say 50, but – Either way, point being is that when it comes crunch time, like, is there people that can just straight up block everything else out, make it just work, it out and just it. get yeah. it done and kill an animal? Like, especially elk hunting, you just find a way to do it, get it done. It's not, you know, it might not be pretty. Bow hunting's not pretty. That's the way it is. But you just find a way to get it done. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess segueing into more of the hunting specifics, um, you run a social media brand and um you know kind of a uh a more of a lifestyle type hunting focused athletics driven antler athlete brand so do you want to speak on that at all antler athlete yeah no yeah. <laughs> uh, that was something that just was kind of born from i mean it was a name created by me but ultimately 
when I was in college, I killed a really big deer. Uh, the biggest deer I've ever killed, actually, quite frankly, on a bye week. Then the next year, I killed a bear uh, going into my senior year. And there was a little bit of like, I don't want to say backlash, but there was a little bit of backlash. And so post-college, I just thought, you know, like all of my personal page, but then like all my hunting stuff, because I love like sending out a massive group text, I'll just do it through this channel. And that became Antler Athlete. And I basically did that with uh, a good friend who was a lot more famous in athletics than me, Brent Metcalf. Um, he's a national champion wrestler. And so we both had this passion for filming and pictures and bow hunting. And, mm-hmm. and that's obviously morphed over the years, but that's where it started. Um, we've both had a lot more kids since we started that. So the filming is <laughs> taking a hit because time is of the essence. Um, yeah. But yeah, something that we still have a lot of fun with. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've kind of done... Uh, the, the the birth of Antler Athlete kind of goes like this. I had started Antler Athlete without Brent, but was really looking for like somebody to do it with. Cause I, I, you know, I like going with people. If I don't get to take the shot, that's okay. Like I like going and hunting with people. Yep. Um, and so anyway, uh, I started Antler Athlete. I'd done it for a year, but the workload was already like, man, like I want to have somebody to share this with. Like I want somebody else to be hunting. And, I did this charity every year and Brent was there and it, the charity was, uh, I was a celebrity quote unquote, very loose term, but I was a celebrity at this pheasant charity hunt and mostly football guys that were playing in the NFL at the time. And then you got Brent who was a celebrity there. And he's like this five foot four cauliflower ear dude, um, <laughs> that could just fold any of us up into a pretzel. Yeah. But he, he didn't know anybody and I knew he hunted a bunch. So I just went up and Hey, like, you're a turkey slayer. Like I know you filmed some stuff and we just kind of hit it off and we set it up to like go turkey hunt like a month later together. And ultimately we had this turkey hunt, which is not normally how it goes, but we walked like five miles, which is not normal (laughs) chasing gobblers. And he ultimately reaped one at like two yards with the best, best footage we'll ever get turkey hunting ever. Um, and that was kind of the birth of us kind of filming together. And now, yeah, we, like I said, we've had a lot more kids and we bought a farm together and we've done a lot of stuff since then. Um, killed an elk together. He was there when I killed my biggest elk to date. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, the antler athlete brand is that it just, the, the, the actual filming of it has, has been lagging by a lot. We started that he had one kid, I had zero. He had, he now has four kids. I have two. And so just the total time allotment has been yeah. tough. Um, but yeah. 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 You definitely have to uh, pick and choose wisely once you uh, throw kids into the mix and schedules and dropping off a daycare and, you know, wives working and man, it's hard. It's for, it's hard for sure. Not to mention your own personal work schedule. So it, uh, yeah, it gets tight you know, for sure. Filming increases the difficulty of everything. Yep. Um, it just makes it, and I didn't like that as that, yeah, as the time got crunched, it's just like this pressure to have to film. And all of a sudden that kind of was robbing a little bit of the stuff I previously liked about hunting. And so we're trying to find that balance now of what we want to do and what we don't want to do, but having a property that's more controlled by us makes it a lot easier again. So we've uh, talked about what that'll enable here in the future, but, um, yeah, all good things. Yeah, absolutely. And, you, I mean, you guys, some of the, the, the films were awesome. The the one 
was uh, a winner of the Kuyu Film Festival. I think that's what it was called. But <laughs> yeah, and then the other one was a part of the uh, full draw. So I mean, that's that's legit. That's actually legit yeah. stuff. And so, but yeah, I mean, uh, it'll be look. It'll be super cool to see. I know that. Uh, with that property, possible a uh, couple different hunts possible in the future, late season, working specifically with us. But I mean, it just isn't simply checking out the, uh, the the Instagram page and all the different videos. I, you guys, <laughs> see and kill big deer. Even if you're not killing them, you're you're able to film them. It's pretty awesome. So um, that I mean, again, that maybe just will be a good natural transition to kind of some your own personal tactics tips for just patterning giant whitetails not just going out and killing any deer like if you're going to go out and try to kill and pattern an older class mature whitetail starting at the beginning of the year early season through late season like what kind of things are you looking at to to get that done i I think the first thing and you corrected yourself there but I, i would encourage people to like you're trying to hunt a mature whitetail, not a giant whitetail. Because even here in Iowa, there are farms. It's kind of like elk hunting. I mean, there's places where a herd bull is 360. And there are places that no matter what, the herd bull is 250. And that is even county to county, farm to farm within Iowa. And that is certainly different in South Dakota. I mean, a five and a half year old deer in South Dakota is going to generally look different than a five and a half year old deer in Iowa. And that's just genetics. Um, but hunting mature whitetail, I mean, arguably, um, I would say it's the hardest thing to do. Um, now there's certainly been people that filming wise have created a way to do it consistently, but that has involved a lot, a lot, a lot of money. I'll tell you that. Like if you pay enough and you own enough ground and all, and you can hunt every single day and that's no knock on them. But I mean, a whitetail's senses, I mean, nose, eyes, ears, uh, they don't walk around in the daylight like ever. I mean, ever. Um, it's just, they're hard. Um, it's really hard. I, my dad used to go through like a booking service, just like ABO, like growing up. And I remember the guy used to always tell him like, the one thing that is the hardest to guarantee any client on is a big white tail. Like it's the absolute hardest. Um, yeah because you just don't know. They're just not on their feet in daylight that much. So, I mean, I think that's like point number one with wherever you're hunting. If you want to kill a big deer, you better be in a place. And this, some people can't control, but it's like, you just can't be messing around on that ground because big whitetails don't come out in daylight where they get messed with a lot. Um, Four wheelers, hiking, jogging. uh, I mean, just pheasant hunting, like that's all negatives. Those are all negatives. If that's happening where you whitetail hunt, doesn't mean you can't kill a mature deer, but it means that that mature deer, whatever small daylight window they would normally come out in, it's even less. Like, it's just, you want those deer to just basically be unbothered, which is hard in today's world. It's hard. Um, Yeah, it's, but I mean, we ultimately, we like to really, I mean, we believe in not bumping them. Um, cellular cameras. We've even gone to all of the cellular cellular cameras. That's helped us both because we have ta- we have time and kid problems. Yep. So it's helped on that end. But it's ultimately like we have eight cameras out there covering a, a large chunk of ground that we don't ever have to go walk on. Yep. Um, 
and we strap battery packs so those suckers don't run out of batteries. Like we've noticed that has changed just how the deer move, just because they're not getting pressure all summer. Um, I mean, as far I mean, I think I'll probably have you ask more pointed questions, but we're we generally follow the same thing that I would say the Drury's and the Lacoste. I mean, not very much pressure. We're trying to establish good food sources because in an area where you've got a lot of good cover, you kind of got to get them to one area. Um, and we have a lot of good cover. So getting them into one spot is kind of the hard spot. And that can be a food source if you do a good job. And then ultimately we can't hunt 50 days in a row. Like, I mean, people who do this professionally can. So really allocating our time to, October 22nd to November 10th. I mean, with everything being from October 22nd to November 1st, being a little bit more of like pattern hunting, let's call it like traditional movement. Just you, you have a chance to catch them on their feet in daylight. And then November 1st to 10th being like things just break open and they're going to yeah. be on their feet most of the day. And it isn't necessarily just to go hit a food source. So that's kind of how we, I mean, ultimately I think late season is one of the best times to kill a mature buck, but neither of us really are big into the late season thing and our wives kind of allocate time. We want to take the, the time allocated from our wives to the rut versus the late season, yep. but I think late season can be a really good hunt. Yeah, 100%. So, okay, so I guess there's a lot of stuff that you were kind of touching on there. So let's just say, um, all right, so then what – when do you, do you guys leave cameras out year round or do you, when do you start putting those in? Yeah. Good, good question. So we, we in general put them up, I would say the end of July, um, rack formation here in Iowa is, I mean, getting fully formed by the end of July, the first week of August, second week of August. So I don't really mess with them until their racks somewhat grown. Um, I want to preserve batteries and cards and so on and so forth. Yep. Once again, I'm a little bit of a stickler on time and, and money, but um, basically we put them out first week of August. They all get switched to scrapes and or more tree stand locations come the end of September. Okay. That stays the same all the way until January. Once season's over, we'll put out feeders feed. And ultimately that's to attract, I mean, we want to find sheds, um, but we'll keep cameras out on those piles post-season just to kind of see what shows up post-season. And that kind of helps us shed hunt. And then by the time we shed hunting, let's just call it March, late April or late February, um, we pull all of our cameras, tune them up, re-battery, all that stuff, um, get them out of the elements until that following July. So th that's kind of how we're running it now. We're running majority cell cams but I've got some non-cell cams that we're basically just, we're not going to check. It's going to be just more inventory when we look at at the end of the year, like was there something that we missed or a better picture of something we might've only seen on a cell cam once type of deal. Yep. And then those ones, do you ever, uh, the, the non-cell cameras, do you pull those on the way to the stand and then check them while you're sitting there or? If, if we walk by them, we'll pull them. Otherwise we kind of implemented like we don't go out so of our way no matter yeah. what to walk by them. So I can just think off the top of my head, there's one or two we've already pulled. We've got like six of those out. There's two or three that I don't think we'll pull at all okay. until we're done, um, which is okay. We're okay with that. Yeah. Um, I guess the next thing that from your original, original, um, 
dis, uh, description of kind of what you guys look at. Um, end of October being more of a patternable time to kill mature deer. Um, yeah. So, like when you're when you're saying like, well, I've only got so much time. I know this stretch yeah. of days could be good for say a mature deer to be up checking a scrape or a doe bedding area or something. What yeah. kind of things do you look at to be like, oh, cripes, it's Thursday, I'm going. Like what kind of things yeah. is that? Yeah, I think, I mean, just in general, any daylight picture you get, I mean, you just don't get daylight pictures in early October. If you do, it's completely rare. And the closer you get to November in Iowa, this is Iowa, this is different everywhere right. else on the actual yep. dates, but the closer you get to November in Iowa, the more they start creeping towards daylight. And we kind of look at it in two ways. One, on a scrape that's in a more secluded area, or two, the closer you get to November, they might come out into a food source. I mean, those last couple of days of October, really the 25th on, they might come out into a food source just, I mean, where 10 or 15 does are going to be just to kind of see if there's a, a whiff, uh, yep. so to speak, of the rut. And so any day, if we, if we saw one on a food source in daylight and or scrape in daylight, we would go there the next night and or morning. I would say like in general, that last week of October, afternoons are better for us. But I mean, really the trigger on get in there is a shooter, a five and a half year old deer that we've kind of deemed as a, a, a shooter, mature buck. If he shows up in daylight, it's time to go try to sit a time or two because a lot of times they'll do it for more than than one day. Um, I mean, all of like the really, really serious people that like hunt on TV. I mean, Lukoski's uh, are, are probably the best example. They are really, really good at killing big deer. And I would argue, if you look back, they, they kill all their big deer the last week of October because come November, they become subject to complete randomness, so which random. is good for the everyday yeah. hunter. We need a little help. Yep. Um, they don't <laughs> like that. They want to know that they're just coming into their food source in, in daylight. So um, daylight pictures are big. That's the trigger for us. Yeah, and then yeah. as far as like weather, and that's obviously wind is a, a number one. There's no doubt, but other things like uh, do you pay attention to, you know, pressure changes and moon phases and all these things you hear about people talk about and that. I mean, what kind of how much stock do you put in those sorts of things? Uh, I, I put stock in them, but not as much. I will say this. So like I used to have the Drury's have an app, um, yeah. Deercast, Deercast, I think yeah. it's called. Yep. It was free. As soon as they made me pay for it, I don't have like, it. Ah. Brent, 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 Brent pays for one of those though. And it basically ranks the day like zero to a hundred percent. There's no doubt pressure, temperature. They have a huge, huge role. And every time those things say that it's a good day to hunt, our cameras light up. That doesn't mean that the big deer shows up in daylight though. So that's still the trump card on everything. Like yep. a five and a half year old deer in daylight is the ultimate thing we watch. But I mean, you get high pressure systems or you get, I mean, in general, I can just look at my weather app and know. And I would describe it as this. When I see, let's just say 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, and then all of a sudden the next day is going to be 49. Yeah. That transition, which I would argue the best time to hunt, isn't the 49 day. It's that last afternoon before it's going to start changing really quick that night. I mean, 
the deer sense the pressure, the, the, the change before it ever gets there. So, and that's probably where the pressure comes in. But yep. the pressure is changing ahead of the temperature. And so if you just look at your phone and you look at those big changes, like I said, the 60, 60, 60, and then the high 40, or the 70, 70, 70, 50, or the 40, 40, 40, 20, whatever it is, that change hunting in front of that change undoubtedly causes a lot of movement. And then the closer you get to November for us is the better chance that that's a big buck. um, That's going to get up. I, I agree. I mean, that, that uh, that's at least in my experience, that's seemed to make a huge difference. Um, I guess next thing, obviously schedules can play a factor in it, but the, the the all day sit i mean what do you typically do on a on yeah. on those kinds of on those days i mean yeah. where you see that and you do have an all day i mean do you no matter what you're saying in the same spot you same same stand or do you move or you know what yeah what do you do? i think strategy has definitely changed once you know it does in heat so i'd say leading up to a doe being in heat we're basically hunting in the fringes and we're hunting food plots where, or, or a scrape. I mean, we're just on the outside looking in. Once it seems like the rut's kicked off, we tend to just dive into where we know are going to be travel corridors, which normally you wouldn't want to like go deep in there, but we nope. do go in. It means you got to, I mean, access gets a little shakier, but ultimately we're trying to hunt movement. I mean, just general corridors that these bucks are going to cruise in between bedding areas is kind of like our favorite. We, several spots we know there's two different beds you get in between them and that's where those pucks really go back and forth but i mean as far as the all day sit leading up to that first doe coming in heat i'd say the all day sit's kind of useless i mean your, your activity is really going to be the last hour and the first hour um once you get to the rut kicking off i mean it can happen at any time and i would say i actually even prefer like not the first hour or the last hour. I, I prefer the time in between there. Yeah. Um, I remember somebody did like an experiment. They called it like the working man's hours. Like drop your kids off at daycare at eight, hunt till like three o'clock and pick your kids up from daycare. I think that is a really, really good time to hunt during sure. the run. I, I would probably prefer that to just saying I can hunt the first two hours or the last two hours. Um, yep. I've killed a lot of deer and I know you have too. I mean, hunting yep. with me, I think you killed yours at one. Yeah. I've killed yep. a lot of deer. Killed a couple in South Dakota and, like that. Between nine and noon, like nine and noon yep. is a good time. You know, like, uh, like they teach you in driver's ed, 10 to two, 10 and 10 yep. and two on the steering wheel. But yeah, the buck I yep. killed in Iowa, that's exactly what happened. It had gotten super cold. North wind finally could pop you into went, that one stand. You went to your truck to dethaw. I did. It was freezing cold. You know, like to I was muster up the courage <laughs> to stay sitting. I, yeah, it's like I had a little. I had to make a cup of coffee, give myself a little pep talk, and then uh, threw on another layer and just walked straight back to the stand. And honestly, like an hour later, that deer came walking right down the trail. But yeah, anyways, I, I there was a couple in South Dakota that have done the same sort of thing where they, you know, or probably possibly even out chasing all night long and then yeah. they're exhausted and they go lay down for an hour two hours three hours and then that that internal drive just seems like it takes over and then they just yeah. get up at 10 11 12 and they go and search and check those bedding areas again so yeah i mean i think if if, uh, if people can if you can sit all day long do it do it i mean just yeah why not um and yeah, I, I think it may, I mean, why those deer up on their feet though? Like at night, all the does are on their feet and they're, they're spread out. They're at food sources, but they're spread out. 
the does, even during the rut, want to go bed down. The bucks don't. And so, I mean, it almost like concentrates the does. And, and that's why getting in between those spots where you know the does are going to be bedded, bucks are going to make their way there. Yep. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, hunting during the rut here enough, like you're going to watch, it's like a freaking beehive. Like you're going to watch a buck run into an area and just start chasing five or six does. Um, and that tends to happen more in the middle of the day. Um, yeah. So that's what I've seen. Yep. Okay. So then transitioning to kind of the, the quote unquote late season, it's a little bit more straightforward where at that point, weather's probably gotten a little colder. Yeah. They need to recover and they need food. But beyond that, I mean, is there anything that you guys are looking for and the way you're hunting changes more than just simply food? Or is that just kind of the, the mainstay? Not really. So how, how Iowa works is we get bow season in November. It ends in December. They do two shotgun seasons. Most people in Iowa are driving um, during that time. And then late muzzle opens up around Christmas and goes till the 10th. And we really don't do any of the shotgun stuff. So if we're going to hunt late, it's late muzzle. And that purely becomes a temperature and food equation. Um, those deer really don't want to be out in daylight at that time. But if it gets cold enough, they will be out in daylight. Yep. And so, I mean, you start getting those temperatures really low, they will get up and go out in daylight. But ultimately, you got to be where there's food. I mean, at that time of year, it's like you want to see a bunch of deer um, because that means there's food wherever that bunch of deer is. So uh, find a spot or keep a food source available and then literally concentrate. I mean, don't hunt when it's 50 degrees. Wait until it does. I mean, the high is 27. Um, those are the nights you're going to see a lot of deer pile in during daylight. That's what's important. All those deer are going to be there during the night. But once again, in the daylight, getting that big buck on his feet is going to take cold temperatures. Yep. That seems like, uh, I mean, I, I would be no different if it was me. <laughs> Get up and move your body. Efficient. I mean, we're not, we don't have unlimited time and yep. uh, we want to stay married. <laughs> so, <laughs> when, I mean, I say all of this on like, no, I mean, in general, like hunt every day, but yeah. late season, look at your weather app. Once again, look at that. Hey, it's been 40, 40, 40. And then all of a sudden it goes to 28. It's like those couple days and the day leading up to that or when I'm going to take off work and potentially piss my wife off. Yeah, exactly. That's when, uh, <laughs> calculated risk. That's yeah, what we're the doing. Risk, the risk like, calculated risk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. Well, so yeah, that, I mean, that's, uh, all a lot of great, a lot of great tactics. And I guess you had, you just at the, at, on my intro, I kind of, I showed, uh, I pulled up a picture of your, uh, your buck you just killed last Saturday and, I, I kind of wanted to hear your story on that and just walk through kind of the, the same sort of thing, whether it was tactics or, or what made you jump in and sit that stand at that time. And then, you know, obviously the shot and kill and all the fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, that buck, I mean, uh, it was a buck we have a lot of history with. Uh, last year we had hundreds of pictures of that deer. This year he showed up again and we have hundreds of pictures and he really started going daylight like the 25th or 6th. Um, I mean, our property is majority cover. So we, we tend to have a lot of bedding on our property. And he started just getting up and hitting some of the scrapes right there before dark. He'd be checking them. And then we'd see him out on the food sources in the dark. But he, he was getting up enough to where I went back in there after him, had an encounter, 
um, previous to the night I killed him. Um, and and he, it just didn't work. He didn't come on the right trail. Saw him, thought he was going to come right to me, and he ultimately didn't. Got back in there. I mean, we're, we're really, until the rut breaks open, we are super wind aware. We don't ever hunt anywhere that we can't walk into without spooking deer or the wind's not going to spook deer. And so I really couldn't get back in there until we had this hard, I mean, west wind and uh, got back in there like at two o'clock, it gets dark at six 30. Um, and I'm way back kind of, I'm in the bedding area. Like we kind of went into the, the, the hornet's nest because this deer was on his feet so much. And got in and immediately kind of saw deer just milling around on their feet um sat there for about an hour and lo and behold i looked to my left and just popped out of the brush this deer is right there 20 25 yards um (laughs) the wind is perfect i mean perfect and he's about to come on a trail that's going to go right underneath me um it's a, a brand new stand we've hung it's almost like too close to the trail to be honest so i was already thinking like I'm going to draw right now. He's at 25 yards thinking I'm going to shoot him at like six and it's going to be quartering to me a little bit. I draw and ultimately he has no idea I'm there, but instead of taking the trail that came to me, he started going kind of diagonal away from me. So I'm at full draw and I got no shot at 20, 25. Now I'm like looking through the woods, like where can I shoot him at? And I found this hole that if I stood up, I like to sit shooting down or shoot shoot sitting down <laughs> I followed um, and so i stood up and over this brush i kind of had a, a shot and i had ranged where that was this opening it was like a 41 yard so ultimately i hold it i mean full draw for maybe a minute he's just moseying through the woods he wasn't doing any chasing he had just clearly just got on his feet and he started to do a little lap probably going to hit the scrape on the other side of where i was at um where i couldn't hunt because the wind and just start seeing where the does were at and ultimately 41 i grunted stopped him he turned around and i just 12 ringed him i mean he ran yeah. maybe 60 or 70 yards um and yeah i mean found him he was a little bit bigger um on the ground than i think we thought he was he's a little bit longer a little bit heavier ultimately he's a little bit younger than we thought too i mean we're trying to the, the deer make really big jumps between three and a half four and a half four and a half five and a half and I've shot a lot of four and a half year old deer. Um, ultimately we're trying to get to a five and a half year old deer and, and this deer is only four and a half. So uh, like a tinge of regret there, but ultimately like <laughs> I'm not, I'm not trying to get in the habit of passing 170 inch deer. Like no, that is not no, me. No, no. <laughs> I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just goes I back to the uh, risk reward where you only got so much time. 170 exactly. plus inch deer is walking a trail and, Oh, it's, oh my gosh, he, well, he's kind of young. I better let him, no way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's just, no. Ultimately, I hope we get to a point where I can pass that deer, but we are not. Yeah. There. Um, so. Well, that's oh, a heck of a deer, he, man. He, uh, yeah, he, he got a broadhead at 41 yards and yep. bam, I mean, that was it. I'm done. I, I haven't, I haven't tagged out on a deer in October since high school i bet um because ultimately time has been crunched and you get the best opportunity of randomness in in november and so i've killed a lot of deer the first to the 20th and i killed this one on the 30th the day before halloween and yeah super pumped great deer um 
And ultimately it was once again, it was, it was the daylight pictures that triggered us. And he went daylight like four days before, but then he just kind of stayed daylight. Um, and so he became pretty killable. And that's a little bit, I would say rare, uh, big mature deer. They just don't get up in daylight very much. That's just yeah. the facts. We also have a, a cornfield that borders us that's standing. It's 80 acres. And that is a huge killer, just a huge killer because deer get out there and stay out there and chase out there and you just can't hunt it. I mean, it's not even our ground and there's no way to hunt it anyway. So yeah, we got to take the opportunities we get and yeah, October 30th, I'm done. Yeah, man, that's cool. That's uh, uh yeah. I mean, heck of a deer absolutely smoked them. And that's, uh, that's, that's awesome. I saw, I, I couldn't even believe it. Like, yeah, like I, I saw the, the story on Instagram and I instantly just texted you like, Whoa, what? No way. Like, that yeah. was so sweet. Um, okay. So obviously this, uh, this worked out early, but you know, you mentioned most of your deer you've killed between the first and the 20th. I mean, if you, let's just say you have like a stretch of four or five days only. Yeah. When are you hunting? I mean, is it hunting the end of October or is it hunting early November? Gosh, depends what my spot is. And you know this because like when you came here and hunted, like at that time, my spots were primarily rut corridors. And so I would say, I mean, the second through the sixth, the first through the fifth, the fifth through the 10th, anytime in that, anytime you get five days off between November 1st and November 15th, whatever that is. I mean, like uh, timber rut corridors is what I had. If I had a really good food plot, and deer came to it a lot and my mature deer was showing up there in dark that last week of october can be really good yep. um so i think it, it varies on how your farm set up i've just i've been skewed the last five eight years i haven't had food sources so i'm hunting them in between the food sources and i'd say that's more of a november activity yep yeah well there you go folks i mean if you're uh if you're lucky enough to draw a tag in iowa choose choose wisely but i mean i think yeah that first to the fifth or seventh and if you just yeah if you blindfolded me and you're coming here and you don't know come november 1st through the 15th anytime in there um it helps to have some random luck on your side and by that time i mean you're gonna get random bucks covering a lot of ground and so i would always say that's the truly the, the truly your best opportunity um but like I said, I think the people who really have it figured out, they kill all their deer the last week of October. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, there's got to be. It's just to constantly pattern them and kill them, that's probably the cards are stacked more in your favor there. But, well, so obviously there's there's reasons why you've killed good deer, great deer, let's be honest. I mean, they're great deer over, you know, the, co- the consistent year after year after year. Yeah, sure. Is it is it good ground with good deer? Yeah, but at the same time, it's always been different ground, and you've consistently found a way to do it. Anybody can do it once, but you know people that actually know what they're doing and and put real thought and effort into it. And there's a reason why you consistently kill. So um, that's like I like I was saying before we we recorded. You know, most of the people that would more than likely listen is, are going to be white-tailed people. So I think you can really pick a lot out of there. Um, but one thing too is uh, you've not only figured that stuff out, you've figured out the Western world. You've gone on a bunch of different hunts. And this year, I mean, by the end of October, you've been a part of uh, an antelope that you've killed, uh, a great mule deer, and now a great whitetail. So maybe just 
touch on some sweet hunts you've done on the Western world and then what you kind of look forward to? Yeah. I mean, anymore, um, elk hunting is just the best. And I know me and you kind of universally. <laughs> yeah. on that. Yeah. If you made me choose one, I get seven days to hunt. I'm probably choosing elk over anything, but I, I've been, yeah, to various States elk hunting, uh, this year burned some antelope points and then helped my brother who lives in Wyoming, uh, fill his mule deer tag. Um, nothing does it quite for me like elk i know a lot of people said about mule deer too but yeah. elk is is what does it to me i love i love the grind i love how big they are i love it's so hard i mean it's yeah. it's so <laughs> hard it's it's so much different than whitetail hunting i mean obviously yeah. complete opposite um but it's just, it, it's fun right now. I've got my brother and my dad both live out West. So I ain't going to see them and elk hunt, but I mean, elk hunting, my advice to anybody elk hunting, especially people that are more, let's just call it Midwest or Eastern. And you want to go elk hunt, like the number one rule in elk hunting. Okay. I don't care if you're in the greatest shape ever, if you're a fatty bush light drink. Okay. We all tend, to kind of have a similar tolerance to where we can get to and the elk know that and they are always when you get to the point of like huh like whenever somebody says like man we wouldn't want to kill one much further than this you need to just look up and look at the next furthest place you can see of like no let's not go there yeah that is where the elk are at every <laughs> single time like the steepest the shale rock ridge that if they you sneak know. in, it's going to make they noise. Know. Yeah. They know, they know, they know. Like They're good. As soon as somebody starts tapping out, look at the next thing you'd have to go up and down <laughs> and just point to it because that's where they're actually going to be. Yeah. Um, I don't know why, but I've hunted in New Mexico and Colorado and Wyoming and Montana. It's universally true. Um, I've only kind of done the do-it-yourself public land stuff, but it's always further and crappier then you want to go yeah. period. Oh yeah. I mean, it is. Yeah. That's what makes it awesome. I had a couple of years in a row where I didn't even draw my bow in Montana and you're still, it's like you get home and you're, you're instantly planning the next trip and it's, yeah. it's just unlike anything else. And you can, uh, yeah, I mean, looking back, you probably could have just done a much less expensive camping trip in the summertime, but you know, at the same time, you're not hearing the bugles in the morning and chasing elk, and it, it's it's just unlike anything else, man. It's super fun. Us waking up to snow. And, oh uh, man! <laughs> yeah, that 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 <laughs> storm we slept through my was a joke. Is as hardcore as it gets, like that guy's killed more elk by himself in yeah. grizzly country, guys, and it's like he didn't get out of the tent that morning because there was so much snow, and me and you were just like, well. We get less days than him, so we yeah, better go. And we saw the most elk that morning, and ultimately you killed that morning. On, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it, I think it goes back to like, I mean, originally you talked about sports, but I mean, it's just like, you're going to go, go try to do it right. And, and, and maybe that means you can only do it right for three or four days. Don't try doing it for 10 days then, because yeah. you will get broken. Like, There's you'll <laughs> get broken. <laughs> Yeah, and I think the group that you go hunt with is just as important. It's huge because you're huge. inevitably there's going to be the point where like you, you you're a little bit worn out, and then all of a sudden you get to be a lot worn out, and then you get close and things you just f it up for some reason, and like frustrations can just be high, and yeah. it's just one of those trips that it, they can and they will be probably. 
and something if you have people that are like start whining and start pouting and being a, a cancer of the group i mean it just goes south in a hurry so oh because it's so like at that point when it when it's going bad it's like one person's <laughs> like hey like let's let's go back to the truck like yeah. screw i mean let's take it i mean it's just oh yeah let's do it you just want to go back and shower <laughs> yeah you need to have those you need to have those people that are just always glass half full yeah and the people that are just willing to grind let's just go um, i don't care my legs are gonna cramp but it's the same okay. thing with whitetails though like having you here and it's like you know mike you're here for four days five you need to sit all day yeah like all day like it's gonna suck yep. the day you killed your buck it was like 28 degrees and blowing it was just chucking in my face taking a north wind in the <laughs> face all day like, <laughs> but ultimately yeah. if you want to kill something like that's the story that you don't get to see with the picture um right time and perseverance like that's yep. what it takes that's what hey patience and perseverance just like your grandpa said amen that's what it takes yep well, hey, I uh, I know you got to get running. I don't want to take a ton more time, but dude, that's uh, that's probably a great spot to kind of wrap things up and a lot of good info there. And I mean, Christ's sake, it's uh, it's fun to hear different ways different people do things. But somebody in terms of hunting that I respect the hell out of, and what you have to say as an opinion, that's what that's what uh, I just love to hear and i am glad that you were able to jump on and share some of that and we're willing to do it take an hour and, and just sit down no I, I i love the conversation um and there's so many strategies all this, i mean so many strategies so many things i mean ultimately though what we just said i mean it's time and it's i mean one thing we didn't touch on and we're not going to go on this tangent now but i mean you need to shoot your bow all year because you get one chance at yep. that 170 inch deer or that 300 inch bull, like one chance period. Like yep. there are rare chances. Like don't squander it by not having practice enough to where you miss or wound or, yep. I mean, shoot your bow to where you can execute. Cause the, 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 ch the chances when you get, I mean, they just don't come very often. And the people that execute on a high percentage of time are the people that become famous. Like, yep, it's Cameron Haynes. Like that guy doesn't miss. No, like, he, he smokes. He doesn't miss a day of shooting his bow either. So it's just, yeah, concentrate on the things you can control, and then ultimately get your ass out there to where you get the the chance of having a chance. <laughs> yep. And then there's a little bit of luck. Nobody wants to admit it, but there's luck. There's oh, yeah. luck that that deer walked out in front of me the other day. And there's luck that, I mean, it's just, there's a little luck factor, but you got to be there and you got to execute to take advantage of the luck. hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. The other thing too, you know, you're, you're a, you're a, a bow nut. you you know, a heck of a lot about, uh, you know, re, restringing bows or like setting them up in a vice and, um, yeah. arrows and, and broadheads and all these little things. So I think that would be an awesome time to get you back on and talk through some of that stuff. So yeah. we can talk gear for sure. I mean, whitetail gear list. I've got that dialed in over the years from how I like my tree stands hung to, yeah, the setup I shoot, but yeah, yeah we can certainly do that. Awesome. James, seriously, man, I appreciate it. Next time it's going to be during a, a, a kill and we'll have a little sip of Elmer T. Lee. Elmer T. Lee. That's the thing that really united us. He's a Elmer good man. T. Lee. He's a good man. What a, what a guy. Anybody listening, anybody listening, you find a bottle of that stuff, you hit up Mike. You yeah, tell me where know. it's at. We need I to will know. drive to get it. <laughs> we'll pay top dollar and we'll drive anywhere. Just let us know. Exactly. Elmer T. Lee. James, James, seriously, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it.
Have a good one, Mike. You too. Later, buddy.